Thanks for listening to the Grace Life Podcast, where we want to know God, love people, and reach our world. If you have any questions or want to learn more about us, you can always check us out online by going to gracelife.church. We'd love for you to stay connected throughout your week and everywhere you go with the gracelife.church app. It's free and available wherever you download apps. Let's go to this week's message in our series about Noah. So hey, before we get into the message today, I want to highlight a couple of things you just heard. First of all, we are kicking off our summer of serve. We want the city of Columbia to know God's people are here. It's just real simple. I believe a city should be better because God's people are in it. And I believe that someone besides us should notice if we closed our doors. So that's what this is all about. We've decided to take this season uh, from Memorial Day to Labor Day and to do whatever we can to make Jesus famous in Columbia. Now, some of you would say, I don't want to do this kind of thing, but I could do that kind of thing. Some of you say, I don't want to do this day, but I could do that kind of day. So if you go online or to our app, you're going to discover we've got things for you to do during the days, in the evenings, on weekends. We've got stuff for moms to do with kids once they're out of school. We've got, I mean, we've got whatever. So many opportunities. Nobody could say there's nothing for me. There's definitely something for you. Want to encourage you to go check it out on the app online. Uh, And as well, today, because some of you may not have come prepared to do anything today, we took care of it for you. I know on the way in, some of you thought that was breakfast. That is not breakfast for those of you that made a sandwich and started to take a bite out of it. That sandwich was not for you. What we're doing is we're getting food ready. And then uh, sometime this afternoon, I don't even know when, it might be right after this, uh, we're going down to feed the homeless. So some of you will be a part of making food just by walking through the parking lot, stopping off for a few minutes. And then some of you may want to come back and be a part of, of going downtown and helping give that out. So the point is there are opportunities all throughout the summer. Please go check it out and find more than one. You can be a part of many. Second thing we want to highlight is next week we start a new round of first step. If you uh, are new to Grace Life, we have uh, an opportunity for you to get to know if Grace Life is the church for you, who we are, what we believe, all that sort of stuff, and we call it first step. And we've made some significant changes, and we took May off. We didn't do it the month of May so that we could make these changes. The first change is instead of you going home, getting really comfortable, and then having to come back out in the evening for dinner, we've said, let's just stay for lunch. So right after the service, go take care of it then, because you got to eat lunch anyway, right? Yep. And you got to deal with the kids at the restaurant, or you can leave the kids in free childcare. Come on. That's a perfect sell, isn't it? Right there. And we've also moved from four weeks to Two, two weeks. So uh, made it as easy as we could. Right after the third service, two weeks, and that'll start next Sunday. All right. Speaking of next Sunday, don't miss it. And here's why. We got something really important to tell you about the building next week. Yeah, who's excited? We have a date. Come on, that's exciting, isn't it? We have a date. I can count the number of Sundays. I've been doing that lately. I keep walking in to the bathrooms and and they're crowded saying only this many Sundays left before we're going to have enough bathrooms. It's going to be great and whatever else it is. So, all right. Well, hey, we are on part two of a series we began last week. And if you missed that or you weren't here, feel free to go get that online. Uh, And we're doing a a short study of a guy named Noah. And uh, as I mentioned last week, I want to once again, just throw this out there. I don't want us to get caught up on what you do or don't believe about the flood and, and make it miss make you miss out on what we could learn from Noah. You know, maybe uh, in your science class or your history class, or just as you're reading the Bible, the idea of the flood, the way it's written in the Bible is a, is a tough sell. And so I don't want you to lose track of that, but there are some nerds in the room. Any nerds with me? Come on, I'm not the only one, right? And so there are some people that say, I'll believe in the flood if you can prove it. So here you go. Answersingenesis.org, a great website 
where they have collected a lot of really smart people who are believers in Jesus, but they also have PhDs in geology and all types of sciences and histories and mathematics. And, and so they have written articles and books and, and collected all of the information to help you find out if stuff in the Bible could actually be true. And if so, how can you keep your brain and believe it? So go check that out if, if this is a stumbling block for you. For those of you that are less nerds and you really just need a good punch in the gut kind of thing, here you go. Jesus believed it. Isn't that enough? Jesus referred to the flood as history. He was there to watch it. He can't be our savior if he's lying or confused about what he saw. So come on. I mean, that's just kind of how that works. But what we want to do in this series is just talk about what we can learn from Noah the man. We don't want to get caught up in the flood. I, I do think those resources will help, but we just want to talk about what we could learn from this man that had some things said of him that were so rare. And we looked at two of them last week. The first one is it said that Noah found favor in the eyes of God. This was almost never said of anyone in Scripture at all. So when it's said of somebody, I think we should sit up and take notice and go, uh, what can we do to be like you? What can we learn from you? And so in part one, we talked about one of the first things that we see that caused God to find favor on Noah is that he walked with God. When nobody else was, he walked with God. So if you want to go back and check that out in part one. But clearly, the thing that Noah is most known for and he's most famous for is doing something God told him to do when it seemed absolutely foolish and ridiculous in everybody else's eyes. And that was to build a boat when there was no rain and no flood and no what? You're in the middle of wherever. But he went and he did that, that building that boat. You know, here's the truth. And the struggle that we, we kind of all have is that sometimes obeying God or serving God can seem incredibly foolish in the eyes of people around us or in the eyes of our own plans, right? Yeah. I mean, God could tell us to do something. We're like, that, that doesn't line up. Uh, I was after my third year of college. I just finished my junior year of college, and, and I went on a two-week mission trip. And I did this because my missions pastor kept annoying me, thinking that I was called to do missions. And I, I would even say it wasn't annoying. I'd say it was harassment. Because I didn't think I was called to do missions. And I, I finally made an agreement after several years of his annoyance to say, I'll go on this one trip if you promise never to say another word to me about it again. And he said, okay. And he made the deal, which means I guess he really trusted in what he thought God was going to say to me. Because sure enough, I go on this two-week mission trip to Romania, and I get there, and I'm having a little bit of a struggle with jet lag one morning, and I'm awake before the sun is. And so I get my Bible, I go out on a balcony of this hotel, and it's, it's kind of out on the edge of the city, and uh, you could see both the fields and people going to work in the city, and so I could see people walking down the streets, and I could also see people walking out into the fields to do their work, and they, they had like those grim reaper sickles. You guys know what I'm talking about? I mean, that's how they were going to go and work all day, doing this. And, and my heart just began to break for these people as I'm looking at them, and God says, I want you to move here. Excuse me? pretty sure I didn't hear that one right. I mean, because like, I'm only here for a couple weeks. I got my senior year of college coming up. And I was a, a concert pianist, uh, m music major. And so I knew my, my senior recital I've got planned. I know what I'm playing. I've been looking forward to playing it my whole career. Matter of fact, I'm working on my audition for where I'm going to go to grad school because that's what you do if you want to be a professor. And so I've got this planned. So God, that's not a part of what I'm thinking. And to abandon 
all of these years of work and practice and all the money that I've put into that degree to like do a complete 180 and go a different direction, well, that just doesn't make sense. And it seems kind of foolish. And by the way, God, if you want to bait me with an opportunity, you should like offer me a job that includes a paycheck. Because a missionary who begs for money or a college professor, those aren't on the same pay scale if you want me to do Come on, y'all know what I'm talking about? And if you think that doesn't sound foolish... Well, then just agree to do it and wait till people tell you how foolish it is. And so, you know, I don't say this to brag, but I'd gotten a few scholarships in school and I'd gotten to a point where the professors were disturbed that I was choosing such a course of action. So much so that my, my, my piano professor was bothered, the whole piano department was bothered to the point that the dean called me into his office. What are you doing? You're, you're our... I mean, you know what I'm saying? It, it was one of those moments. And well, fortunately, he was a man of, of faith. And when I told him what I felt God had said, he said, okay. And then got, he told everybody to get off my back. But that was only in the music school. Then I had to tell my family and they said, that's foolish. At least some of them. Like, you're going to do what? Is it safe there? You're going to walk away from your degree and your training? And you, you get the point. So many times for us to serve or to obey God, will look incredibly foolish and ridiculous compared to the plans we have or compared to the wisdom of the world. And this is where we're going to discover Noah can be such a huge help because he did something really foolish, to be honest in that sense. So if you've got your Bibles, you can turn with me to Genesis chapter 6, 22. That's where we're going to pick it up. It's where we left off last week. So let me review where we are in this story. We're about 1,600 years past Adam and Eve We've had a lot of population of the earth and they populated it with their sinfulness, okay? Think about it, it didn't even start well. I mean, God makes Adam and Eve and then they go ahead and mess it all up. They sin, their first two kids wanna kill each other, somebody's dead, I mean, and then we're just gonna like carry that on for 1600 years. Things are not good on the earth. And so God looks down and says, I'm gonna bring a flood upon the earth to deal with the wickedness of man, but you know what, I want you to go and build a boat. And he gives them all these instructions. We skipped those. We didn't read them last week. You can read those in chapter six if you wanted. And right after all of those instructions, Noah goes away and he does what God says. And so here's where we pick it up today. Verse 22. So Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. Now, I want you to think about this. If you remember part one, as well as what I just said, the entire earth is so wicked that the only way God knows to deal with them is to wipe them out completely wicked. And, and yet God says that Noah was righteous and blameless in his generation. You know what that tells me? This is not the first time this was said about Noah. This is not the first time that Noah did all that God commanded. You see what I'm saying? If Noah was just like everybody else and he didn't obey God and he did what he wanted all the time, then God wouldn't be coming to him saying, in you, I'm going to save the human race. You are righteous. You are blameless in your generation. No, no, no. This was not an occasional statement. This was a lifestyle of doing all that God commanded. The question is, would that be our reputation? If God were to come and talk to us right now, would we be hoping for the, just give me a test, God, I'll pass it. This one time, I'll do all that you command. Or would God say, no, 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 you're already somebody who does all that I command. And you may say, well, you know, what's really the significance of this? Because of this one. Despite the fact that Noah had done everything God ever asked, at least that's what I believe, 
despite, I mean, to be called blameless in your generation, you couldn't have done too much, right? You with me? Despite all of that, this had to be the most ridiculous thing God ever asked him to do. Hey, Noah, I want you to go over there and share with your neighbor. Okay. Hey, Noah, that guy beside you, would you give him your lamb? He's hungry. Okay. Hey, Noah, that guy that stole your lamb last week, I want you to forgive him. Okay. Hey, Noah, I want you to build a really big boat. Three stories high. Football fields long. It's going to take decades. You're going to be ridiculed. You're going to be mocked. Nobody's ever seen anything like it because I'm going to bring a storm nobody's even heard of before. I want you to go and do this. And you know why this matters? Because Noah did it. Noah did it. And we struggle right here because I think many of us, we have a line in the sand that says, I'll do that, God. Whatever God comes to you and says, oh, I'd like you to, to serve on a team at the church. Okay, I can do that once a month, God. That'd be all right. I'd like you to, to, to give a little bit to this. Okay, I can do that, God. But for every one of us, there is a line. And God says, I want you to forgive so-and-so. Oh, uh-uh. I want you not to give a little. I want you to give a lot. Oh, no, no, no. I want you to quit your job and move somewhere and tell people about, oh, no, no, no. I've got grandkids in a retirement plan. Or at least I want grandkids, and if I take my kids somewhere dangerous, I won't have grandkids. Nope. There's a line in the sand for every one of us that says, when you get that foolish, I'm not following. When your ideas are that ridiculous, I'm not doing it. But check out what Noah did. We're going to keep reading the story. So he built the boat, and then the Lord said to Noah, go into the ark, you and all your household, for I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. Take with you seven pairs of all clean animals, the male and his mate, and a pair of the animals that are not clean, the male and his mate, and seven pairs of the birds of the heavens also, male and female, to keep their offspring alive on the face of the earth. For in seven days, I will send rain on the earth 40 days and 40 nights, and every living thing that I have made, I will blot out from the face of the ground. And guess what? Noah did all that God commanded. I mean, think about it. It's one thing to, to build a boat, which we, we believe took him several decades, anywhere from like 50 to 75 years. That's a long time to be building a boat, right? And then he starts to load it with animals. I mean, there's no rain. It's not raining yet. It's going to rain in seven days. But right now, everybody's watching. They've been mocking Noah for decades. And now he's starting to get the elephants. Yep, you too. Come on, come on, come on. Giraffes, giraffes, come on. Here we go. I mean, can you just imagine the foolishness as people saying, Noah, seriously, what are you doing? What are you going to do when they start eating each other? What are you going to do? I don't know. You say, I mean, seriously. <laughs> I want to show you two things about this story, though, that matter for us today. The first one is this. God's plan for our lives always includes our obedience. If we want what God has planned for our lives, there's something we're going to have to do. And we love some of these Bible verses that talk about our destiny and our uniqueness. I mean, God made you. God made you special. Your mama tells you you're special all the time. That's the reason there's American Idol. I mean, only because there's a bunch of people who think they can sing, but they can't. Otherwise, there wouldn't even be a show. And they're all there. But my mama said I could sing, you know? I mean, we think we're so... Okay, so back to this. You really are special. 
because you are God's prized creation. And we have Bible verses we love to quote. We write them on the refrigerator, things like Psalm 139, I am fearfully and wonderfully made, right? Or Ephesians 2 that says, before the foundation of the world, you were created for good works. God did this for you. But none of us on our refrigerator, right below the verses, right? Only if you obey. We don't like the, the, the part of this that says we have to be involved with what God calls us to do. But I need you to think about this. Noah wasn't saved because he knew a flood was coming. If he didn't do anything and he started drowning, he wouldn't have been, I'm going to live because I knew a flood was coming as he's drowning. No, no, he would have drowned. He, he wasn't saved because God was going to send angels. No, he was saved because he did something called building a boat. When a flood came, if he had not obeyed God, he would have been wiped out like everybody else. There is a part of his obedience that matters. One of the things that breaks my heart as a pastor is the number of conversations I have with people that have missed this step at some point in their lives. Somewhere, someday, whenever, they took a detour from something God told them to do and they've missed a step of being in God's plan. I can't tell you the number of conversations I've had with people who are just disillusioned, disappointed. Some would go as far as to say life is meaningless. Others may not go quite that strong yet, but they would at least say, man, this is just so mundane. Like seriously, every day I go to a job I hate. Well, that might be the issue. Because see, as you hear them tell their story, at least as I listen through a pastor's ears and I hear them begin to tell their story, I can always hear the moment where God said, go this way, and they chose that. And it might be something like, you know, I always wanted to do this. I had such a passion for this. Really? God created you. God put your passions in you. But I discovered what that salary was, and so I, I, I put that away, that childish enjoyment. I mean, I can't do that for a living. It wouldn't feed the family, and I went over here and did this because it pays well. And now you think your life is mundane. Whatever it is, I don't know the story. I'm not going to get into all the examples, but I guarantee you somebody here today is in that place where you have made a detour from something God has told you to do that would have resulted in what God planned for you, and you feel like life is mundane or worse. And here's what I want you to know. The Bible is a story of redemption. Our God is the God of redemption. Humanity had gotten itself to a point it could never be right with God again. And even God didn't let that stop him. He sent his son Jesus to die so that you and I could have that. So I want you to know, maybe you're in that place, you're disillusioned, you're hurt, you're broken, you think there is no meaning or there's at least no excitement. I want you to know you can get back on the track. You can go back to a point and say, okay, God, I left what you said to do right here and I'm gonna fix that today. Let me show you the second thing. They went into the ark with Noah, two and two of all flesh in which there was the breath of life. And those that entered, male and female of all flesh, went in as God had commanded him, and the Lord shut him in. The Lord shut him in. This is strange. Well, let me show you the second thing here, is that God's plan for our life always includes his grace. You see, God's plan for our life always includes our obedience, but God's plan for our life always includes his grace. And most of us are either or kind of people. 
We've got people who are, we just want his grace. I'm going to live the way I want to live. I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm going to make the choices I want to make. I'm going to please me, make me happy. You know, maybe my family too. That is my focus, and I hope God cleans it all up in the end. Well, I can tell you this, you know, God does clean it up in the end with Jesus, but God gets you to heaven. That doesn't fix life right now. If you want some things to go the way that God wants them to go, the way you want them to go, you might actually have to do what he says here on earth. And then there are people who are just the opposite. No, thanks, God, I got it. Don't you worry about me. I'm one of your good kids. I check all the boxes. I do all of this. I do all of that. I work really hard. I behave, whatever it is. And you think it's your obedience that is going to get you everything in life. And that isn't going to work either because God will not let you do this on your own. God will not let you fulfill your destiny without him. Your destiny that your creator has for you cannot be done apart from him. We have our obedience and we have his grace. So check out that phrase. The Lord shut him in. Isn't that strange? I mean, think about this. If you go back to chapter six, the part we didn't read together because it's just long and boring, and I want you to make it with this many cubits this way and this many cubits this way and this many stories and this many da 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 da, da, da. There's nothing in scripture that says that God, uh, I'm sorry, that Noah was a seafaring family or that he'd ever built an ark before. He'd probably never built a canoe before from what we can tell because the blueprints have to be divine. God has to say, this is what I want you to do. This is how I want you to do it. Okay, so can you imagine the creator God of the universe saying, look, I've got something really important for you to do. You're going to save humanity through this. And I want it to be this tall, this wide, this long, this, 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 make it out of this kind of wood and everything and everything. And then when he gets done, God says, forgot to tell you about the door. I mean, seriously? So God has to shut the door? No, I don't think so. I also don't think this was a story of just like preventing the world's greatest engineering disaster. Like, well, Noah built a boat but there was no door, and so it sank, and humanity's dead, and the Bible's only that big. You know what? No. I also don't think that Noah got to the point of building for decades. We're talking over 50 years, most likely, of building this thing that never once on a lunch break did he stand up and look back at his work and go, how are you going to shut the door? Yeah, I don't, no, I don't think that's what this means at all, but definitely there's some mystery. The Lord shut them in. What is, something's going on here that we don't fully get. I don't think it's so much that God shut the door because Noah couldn't figure it out. I mean, Noah built the rest of the ark. He got stuff three stories high. I think he could have figured out how to close the door if that were the case. I think it's more about a protective nature. I think it's God is doing something for Noah he can't do for himself, and that is protect himself. I don't know if you read the Bible as funny as I do, but things just come to mind. And so, again, all of humanity except Noah and his family are wicked and evil, right? And so all this time they have been mocking Noah, making fun of Noah, and now the rain comes. And Noah and all the animals are on the boat. I just want you to imagine this picture with me. And so it rains, and they're like, huh. And then the water's up to their ankles. And they're like, okay. And then the water's up to their knees. And they're like, hmm. And then the water's up to their chest. And then the water's up to their neck, and all the short people are already dead. <laughs> so here's what we have left. Imagine the picture. All of the tall, evil people 
are left upon the earth and they have figured out Noah was right. The only chance we have is to get on that boat. But then one of them in their good manner says, well, no, we are wicked. We shall just die rightfully. Do you think that's what they did? No, no, no. I imagine kind of like a scene out of The Walking Dead, like zombies just all trying to get in. I mean, I just imagine people climbing up the side. I mean, they're trying to do everything they can. I imagine if they could see the opening the way that it was, that they would be putting sticks in there, prying the door open, destroying the ark. They would be peeling things off. They would be climbing up the sides. I mean, whatever it took. I think it says the Lord shut them in. I don't think this is so much saying that uh, God closed the door because you forgot it, Noah. But I think this is saying God has shut this thing in. He shut them into something. And there's, there's something protective about what God is doing now that none of the wicked, none of the evil can get inside. I, I don't think that this is just that they couldn't close the door, I think there's something protective that God is doing. And see, the enemy likes to say, when God shuts you in, he's trying to, he's trying to take your fun away. And I've talked to people who say, well, you know, if you follow God, you know, you can't do this and you can't do that and all the fun is over there and you can only spend your money in this way and you only do these things in this way and whatever, 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 whatever. And we think that the rules are, are God trapping us in. The truth is God is keeping the evil out. You see, when we get to the place where God wraps us in his grace and we obey his commands, the evil stays out there when we make those choices and when he protects us. Whatever, God, whatever boundary God has put in your life, it is not for prison, it is for protection. I think that's what happened here. So the question for us today, what is the foolish obedience God is asking from you? My wife asked me yesterday, so what you preaching on this week? I said, foolish obedience. And she looked at me and said, that sounds like heresy. Let me tell you why the phrase foolish obedience is actually a good phrase and why it's not heresy. Several reasons. First of all, foolish obedience is because it doesn't make sense to the world. This doesn't make sense to the world around us. Matter of fact, this is what the Bible says. Do not deceive yourselves if any of you think you are wise by the standards of this age. The people around you, history, everything that you know, if that is what you think makes you wise, then you should become a fool so that you can become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight. It is, as it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness, and again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise are futile. No, no, no. You see, when God tells us to do something and it doesn't make sense to the world, yes, it's foolish obedience to everyone around you, but it makes sense in God's plan and there's nothing foolish about it. It's foolish obedience because it's never been done before. It's foolish obedience because no one else is doing it. Let's, think, let's look at those. It's foolish obedience because it's never been done before. Do you realize there's never been a flood? As best we can tell, there's never been a flood. There's no reason to believe that in Scripture. God would have never brought one about at this point. He's, he's said he's never done. We, we don't know anything in Scripture that gives us an idea there's never been a flood. And so if you think about these people and Noah's building a boat and, and they're thinking, wait a minute, Noah, you tell me a storm has come, a storm I've never heard of. Uh, this kind of, there's an event we've never seen, something that's never happened before in history. It, it's going to bring so much water that if I get on my table, I'm still not safe. 
There, there's something we don't even know exists that's going to bring so much water. If I get on my roof, I'm not safe. No, what, you, you're really telling me there's, there's enough water coming with something we've never heard of, heard of, some kind of storm or something that if we just keep running, we can't get away. If we just climb that hill, we can't get high. I, I don't think so. It's never been done before. Oh, and speaking of the boat, that's never been done before. You're going to build an ark in a place that we have no reason to believe they were anywhere near the ocean, that would have shown up in the story if Noah was a seafaring person in a boat, a shipbuilder or something like that. And on top of that, no one else is doing it. No one else is prepping for the end of the world. Come on, anybody watch the prepper shows? Y'all know what I'm talking about? Don't raise your hand if you are one of the preppers. But here's the thing. The rest of us think you're crazy. Now, when the end of the world comes, you get to laugh, just like Noah did. I promise, Noah chuckled at least once on that boat as he's looking at them going, Noah, what'd you say about me last week? <laughs> you know what I mean? Come on, you know what I'm saying? But here's the thing. When people are prepping for the end of the world, they're like getting backhoes, and they're digging holes in their backyard, and they're putting shipping containers in there full of groceries and an arsenal. I mean, they're like taking this thing seriously. You know what I'm saying? And there, there's a couple of you that, like, you dip your toe in this whole idea. You've got, like, five cans of Spam and some green beans in your garage, and you think you're prepping. You're not prepping. All you got is the Last Supper. You aren't going to last very long. No, no, no. The people who are truly prepping are fanatical. We call them weird. So here's my point. Not to pick on the prepper. You've got to be fanatical about what God's told you to do. No one else is going to be fanatical like that. Oh, think about this one. You know what else Noah did that no one else is doing? He heard from God. The, the Bible tells us that this generation was so wicked that God's going to wipe them all out. They didn't even, I don't think they used the word God. Just imagine how the conversation went. Noah, what you building? A boat? Why? God told me to. God what? God who? God? What's a God? Oh, he's, oh, and he talks to you? Wait a minute. Let me get this straight. You hear voices, and you're building a big boat for a storm that's never happened. Y'all see what I'm saying? You're going to have to do what no one else is doing. You're going to have to do what's never been done before. That's what foolish obedience is all about. And maybe some of you can relate. Maybe God is calling you to do something that's, well, no one else is doing and has never been done before, at least in your context. And the world would call it foolish all the way around. And when I say it's never been done before, I don't mean like never in history. We're pretty far along. It's 2018. Most things have been done. But maybe in your context, in your circle, your sphere of influence, it's never been done and people would say it's foolish. Maybe no one in your family has ever declared Jesus to be their king. It's never been done before. Maybe no one in your friends, your circle of friends, has ever been baptized. And God is saying, I want you to be baptized for my name and invite all your friends. And you're saying, you want me to do what? None of them have ever been baptized. And you want me to invite them to my church service so I can get wet? What? Foolish in their eyes. Whatever God's calling you to do. There were people that looked at me and said, you want to give up what to do what? When I said, I'm going to not 
go to grad school and I'm going to move to Romania instead? But here's what I need you to hear. If you want to live in your unique calling, if you want to be that special you that God made you to be, then you will have to do something that no one else is doing and has never been done before. Because that's the only place that you will find your destiny. If you do what the rest of the world is doing, you will find their destiny. If you do what everyone in your family has done, you'll find that destiny. But if you want to be the individual, the unique creation, the special person that God has made you to be, and I believe he has, you're going to have to do what no one else is doing and what's never been done before, at least in your context. So I'm going to close today with a very hard personal challenge, and that is for those of you that are up for it, which I hope is everyone. But I want you to actually answer the question. What is the foolish obedience God is asking from you? What is the foolish obedience God is asking from you? Some of you already know. The first time the, the question went on the screen, some of you knew right then, and you began arguing with God. You haven't heard anything else I've said the whole time. You've been too busy saying, uh-uh, not gonna do it. That is, some of you know, some of you don't know, and I'm gonna challenge you to take today or, or this week or whatever it is and talk to God, say, God, what is the foolish obedience you want from me? For some of you, it, it is to break up with somebody, even though they say they love you. They might even go to church on occasion with you. <laughs> who knows? They might have been the one to invite you to church. But God says, this is not who I have for you. It might be to change careers. That'd be pretty foolish. Walk away from whatever you've got planned, whatever this career path is that's in front of you. You know, I'm believing before the day is out, in one service at least, somebody is going to figure out they are called to be a pastor. I was a music teacher for 11 years. Kent was a nuclear engineer. You too can take a pay cut and join the pastoring world. Some of you, God's going to ask you to take a really radical step. He's going to say, I want you to sell your house. I want you to quit your job. And I want you to move to this nation tell people about me and that nation might not be the safest place to go and yep you're going to take your kids that's going to be hard but some of you even though everyone around you is going to say that is foolish for some of you God's going to say I want you to give money I want you to give a lot of money for some of you God's going to say I want you to give your stuff you know that neighbor You've saved for a vacation and they can't afford groceries. I want you to give it to them. But God, we won't have a vacation. Excuse me? I don't know what it is. But God's going to ask you to do something foolish. Maybe God is going to ask you to resist a passion or a desire, even though everyone else is doing it. God is going to ask you to do something that's foolish in the eyes of the world. But that very step in crossing that line, building a boat, when there's never been a flood, no matter how ridiculous it sounds, is going to determine whether or not you walk in your destiny. Paul, who wrote most of our New Testament, figured out, I think, what might be the most important ingredient of being able to do something foolish when God asked. Here's what he said. 
For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? <laughs> Listen, if I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Because those two, they couldn't be further apart. Maybe the first question you need to answer is, who are you trying to please? Who are you trying to please? Because as long as you're trying to impress somebody in your family, as long as you're trying to work yourself to death to impress a boss, as long as you're willing to lay down your integrity to impress a potential boyfriend or girlfriend, whenever it is, whoever it is, whatever, that you are willing to impress that matters more to you, well, that will be the determining factor of whether you're able to do something foolish for God. You see, I firmly believe, can't prove it because it's not in the Bible, but I firmly believe Noah didn't care what people said. If he would have, he'd have never got there. He'd have never even tried. He also would have never been so different that God could have used him. I, I think we've got at least that little clue. He was blameless in his generation. He had to have been different. And you're not different if you care what people think. You've got to decide who you want to impress. And then answer, what is the foolish obedience God is asking from you? I want to close by touching on, well, for some of you it seems foolish. And it's the idea of making Jesus your king. The idea that wait a minute, I don't just do what I want the way I want when I want just to please myself and you want me to do what Jesus says instead? That sounds foolish according to most people. And so there are many who know, some of you are here today, who know Jesus came, died on the cross for your sins, but putting him in charge of your life, that just seems foolish. I want to encourage you and help you if you're willing to be foolish for God today and to finally do something that will determine your real legacy, your real destiny and become the person God has for you that you won't reach any other way. If you've never made Jesus your king, if you've never surrendered him, I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to ask you to stand up or come down front. I'm just going to help you begin a conversation with him right where you're seated. Would you all join me? Pray. Say something like this to yourself and to God. Lord Jesus, I thank you I thank you that you died for me and now I want to live for you. I thank you for your love, your mercy, and your forgiveness. And today, I have a very simple prayer that you would give me a life of great meaning and great purpose in your kingdom. Amen. Let's celebrate with those people. Amen. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. If you've made the decision to follow Jesus, congratulations. It's the best decision you'll ever make. If you've been impacted in any way, we'd love to hear about it. Head over to gracelife.church resources where you can share your story and find other tools for following Jesus. We hope you go out and make Jesus famous in your world.